So should we mention that we're doing a Thanksgiving-y episode? I guess. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. Yes, because our next episode comes out exactly on Thanksgiving. So it was a little treat. Nice. We're going to talk about some birds. So when you're sitting down with your family, if you need to figure out what to put on in the background, <laughs> I think you should put on us. Or if you just need some conversation starters and you want to know all the scientific facts about those mm-hmm. conversation starters, yeah. come to us. You can listen to our episode in the morning and then... You can claim our stories as your own. It's okay. Like, just be like, <laughs> I learned commentary. something interesting. <laughs> I steal my own stories for conversation fodder all the time. I love <laughs> I to research something from this, like, for this podcast and then go be like, hey, do you want to know something really cool <laughs> to, like, everybody I know? I do that all the time. Sometimes I try and lead there, like, by – when I did that chestnut tree story, it was mm-hmm. really interesting. We don't have any chestnut trees. So just, like, look at a tree and, and say, like, wow, that's a – really nice tree it kind of looks like a chestnut tree (laughs) (laughs) and then (laughs) segue awkwardly into my story about chestnut trees well it's better than my like i've been listening to rock me amadeus a lot you'll never guess why (laughs) oh my gosh i can't even remember what those creatures were now (laughs) the crayfish (laughs) i was like salamanders (laughs) i'm losing my mind Oh my gosh. Also, this is Buffs Talk Science. And I'm Allison. And I'm Grayson. But today we're not going to do Thanksgiving stories. We're going to do spooky stories, apparently. (laughs) Accidentally. I have one spooky story and one story that's a classic material science story. (laughs) Oh, I'm doing a material science story, too. Is it about moths? No, I liked it what yours was about. (laughs) Mine is, I think, a kind of under the radar material science story. So, Well, what are you talking about today? I am talking about clear wood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is the material science story. And then the oh, sp- clear wood. Yes. Okay. Got clear it. Clear wood. <laughs> wood you can see through. And I'm also talking about corpse composting because it's uh, legal in Washington state now. <gasps> nice. Or it's been legal for a while, but now it's like happening. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. Yeah, it is. We'll talk about it. What are you talking about? (laughs) I am going to talk about material science, about moths. Okay, cool. Um, Which I promise is very interesting. (laughs) And then I have a baby beetle story, (laughs) which is a a story about baby beetles, but it's also very short. So it's a baby, baby beetle story. Baby, 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 baby beetle story. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Nice. I'm excited for both of those. Nice. Do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. I am going to talk, I suppose, about the wood first. Okay. Okay. But if you don't like material science, you could you should stick around because the second one is about corpse compost. <laughs> well, actually, the second one is my story, which the, is also about material science. You should stick around for the third story and the fourth one, which are about corpses and baby beetles. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. I didn't mean to trash on material science. We should get that. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, you know, windows. <laughs> I know of windows. <laughs> yes. So if you'll look to the wall in whatever room you're sitting in, the listener, there is probably a window unless you're, I in mean, a closet. we're like an office in a science research building. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. But, oh my gosh, the chemistry building at OU, 
was built to be riot proof because it was built in the 1960s. Mm. And so it has these unscalable walls. It's shaped like a blender, but like it has like a box of unscalable walls. And then at the top, it's like kind of a very teeny skyscraper. So that's what our like library at UCSD look like too. I wonder if they were designed by the same people. I have seen your library at UCSD. It is a beautiful but odd library. <laughs> the blender is very ugly. <laughs> the blender does not look like that. So they have the same ideas, but one was executed with more panache. <laughs> yes. And one of them just looks like a blender. Um, but the point is there were no windows on the first like five floors of that building mm-hmm. or four floors. It was miserable. And I had to spend all of my time there for like my junior and senior year. Um, so there is maybe a window. I don't know why we're <laughs> okay. So why are we talking about windows? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So the point is something I've been noticing a lot with my window lately. <laughs> Genuinely, because this does happen every winter. Not to trash on your house, which I love, but a lot of cold comes in from the outside. Oh, yeah. And really what that means is that a lot of heat is escaping mm-hmm. from the inside um, through the glass of the window. That is a major problem with windows in general, <laughs> not just the one in my room. <laughs> um, so basically the energy used to heat and cool homes in the U.S. accounts for 14% of all the energy we consume. Mm-hmm. And then a quarter of that energy is just totally wasted because yeah. it slithers its way out of like the the temperature controlled air slithers through windows or really not the air. The heat transfers through uh-huh. the windows or the yeah, in either direction, either from the outside in the summer or the inside in the winter. Um, so that is really rough. Just real rough. Um, <laughs> not great for the environment. Not great for you you a person inside of a building sometimes um, <laughs> <the window>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so people scientists have been trying to find other materials um, or improve glass to make it less transmissive of heat mm-hmm. um and something that a handful of groups have been working on lately are make is making transparent wood okay. because wood is not very transmitting to heat but it's usually not very transmitting to light either. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not great window material. <laughs> no. Um, but what's really interesting is, oh, I should mention that one of the groups that's working on this, whose paper I'm talking about today is uh, the lab of Myung Bing Hu. And this paper's first author is Ryu Mi. And they're at the University of Maryland. So uh, what they did, oh, well, and I read reporting on it from Diane Benegas and Robert Westover at the USDA Forest Service website. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was cool. <laughs> the point is, the thing that makes wood not easy to see through is lignin, which is an organic polymer, which basically means that it's a long repetitive molecule. And when I looked, like I Googled lignin and I wish I had kept it up. I'm just going to Google it again so I can tell you the exact definition because it's... I don't like. Or just, it's a complex organic polymer deposited in the cell walls of many plants, making them woody. So, <laughs> I like, I don't exactly know what it does, uh-huh. but it strongly contributes to the woodiness of wood. Um, making it, like, rigid? Yes. Yeah. And also, I think maybe fibrous? Okay. I don't know. Another component of the fibrous part of wood is uh, cellulose, which basically forms these kind of long tubes in the wood that are then full of this lignin. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you have to do to make wood clear, more like glass and less like wood, is get rid of all the lignin. Um, so you just bleach it with regular bleach, sodium hypochlorite, for a long time at room temperature. So we could do that part of uh-huh. this process here in our home. 
Um, and that makes it clear? So that makes it, yes. That takes away the lignin and a lot of the, like, the hemocellulose, which is... Long cellulose. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm not uh, 100%. You do have to get, you do want to get rid of it, though. Basically, it's like some sort of like bigger configuration of cellulose. Yeah. Um, and once you've bleached it for long enough, you're left with these teeny tiny little networks of cellulose that are smaller in width than uh, the wavelength of visible light. Mm, okay. um, and so basically for something to be visible... Or to have pigment, it has to be big enough for, like, light waves to bounce off of it. And mm -hmm. light waves won't bounce off of things that are smaller than them, okay. usually. So the point is, once you have only really small structures, it is pretty see-through. Um, and then the next step is to go in and replace all of the lignin that you took out with polyvinyl alcohol. It's basically something with very similar Structural? optical properties. Oh. To glass? Um, to the clear wood. Uh, okay. Yeah. I guess that's what matters is you don't want to, I don't know, like when you switch, when light travels through two different materials and one of them has different optical properties, it bends when it passes between the materials and gets all warped. So that's mm -hmm. why like when you put your hand underwater, it looks offset from your arm above the water is because the light is being bent differently. Um, and basically polyvinyl alcohol, uh, its optic properties are similar enough to that of the cleared out, the bleached wood that mm -hmm. like it doesn't bend the light very much, but it also reinforces the structure and makes everything strong. Um, cool. Yeah. And it's also like, I didn't actually read up on why, but it's allegedly an environmentally friendly polymer. Oh, nice. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. So we could do the first step at home. So we could take a piece of like firewood and submerge it in bleach for a while and mm -hmm. it would become clear. And then we just wouldn't be able to make it very strong without this extra polymer. Yes. Although I bet we could also probably get PVA. It's pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. Especially if you work in a chemistry building. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could. We could replace all these windows. Because the other thing about this is that it's like Please easy don't. to manufacture. Um, <laughs> well, wait until you hear the rest of the story. Um, it's easy to manufacture. It like uses a wood manufacturing process. It's like already upscaled and yeah you know, in practice. Um, and then you would just have to do the bleaching and polymer replacement. And mm -hmm. then it can be pretty much handled the same way you would handle like cut glass and stuff mm -hmm. um, or like cut wood also. <laughs> um, so it should be an easily implementable glass alternative. The thing about this, uh, technically it's a wood composite after they've done all of this. It's no longer just straight up wood. Right. But the thing about it is that they measured a bunch of different properties. I really like it because, you know, when you take, like, the the five personality, yeah. like, test. What is uh -huh. that called? The big Ocean? five. Big five. Yeah. Um, and they, like, give you that graph where they plot out the five traits and, like, say, oh, you make a weird triangle because you're really strong in these three traits and really weak in these two uh -huh. others. They do that, but with transmittance, clarity, impact resistance, thermal insulation, sustainability, and lightweight, which doesn't match all those other words because it's not a noun. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, but <laughs> Parallelism. <laughs> yeah, right? But the point is, so they compare this, wood com this clear wood composite um, and glass and regular wood <laughs> for all of those. Yeah. Um, for all of those things. And as you might guess, wood scores very low for transmittance, <laughs> clarity, and actually impact resistance, uh -huh. um, but high for thermal insulation, uh, sustainability, and lightweightness because mm -hmm. they're using 
balsa wood, which is just okay. notoriously lightweight. Yeah, lightweight. You <laughs> use it they... for building those rally cars. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was thinking. <laughs> and also the like balsa planes that people make yes. in um, what do you call it? The Boy Scouts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very light. You could build a clear plane out of it, I guess. Maybe <laughs> it actually. Yeah. It stays lightweight after you put the PVA in there. Nice. And then on the other hand, um, glass has high transmittance and clarity, but obviously really low impact resistance, low thermal insulations, sustainability, and lightweightness. Mm -hmm. This clear wood composite scores really high on all of them. The only thing that glass beats it on is clarity. Mm -hmm. Like... This transmits light well, but there's a little bit of, like, haziness yeah, to it. which makes sense. Yeah. So you would get all the natural light into your house, but if you were, like, taking pictures through your window, they might not look that great. Um, Man, still, uh, that sounds, like, kind of ideal. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care that my windows aren't fully, fully transparent, like, mm -hmm. totally optically clear. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's really not a very big difference. Like... So I don't know. So it looks neat and promising and easy to manufacture and pretty cheap and good for energy savings. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty excited about it too now. Yay. If it was an option, like if I was building a house or like buying a house and mm -hmm. modeling a house, I would ask about it. Yeah, me too. So nice. I will never get to build a house. <laughs> but if somebody else is, they should that ask about this. It's probably not true. At some point in your life. Well, I also you don't want to option. build a house. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> I want an old haunted cottage. <laughs> that's what I would prefer, too, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd like the option to remodel it with options that save me yeah. money on heat costs. <laughs> yes, but what if they trap more ghosts in there with you? Because ghosts that's, operate in much the same way as heat. That's fine. I'll take okay. more ghosts. <laughs> Cozy ghosts. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I bet they would be... Better, like, better companions if they were, like, warm, warm and happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. Okay. That's a cool story. Thank you. I actually have a story that transitions very, very well from that. Nice. Is it about baby beetles who eat clear wood? No. Okay, cool. It's about, it's also a material science story, nice. but it's about glass. <gasps> oh. And the, like, some of the, like, you know, drawbacks of using glass surfaces. <gasps> Oh my gosh! So they should all be replaced. Is that what you're saying? Maybe I we mean, should. We can't replace our phone glass with clear wood. I guess. <laughs> well, so I mean, no, we cannot. Probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about clear wood, but I assume no. <laughs> what if you got a clear splinter? <laughs> oh no! That'd be so hard to remove. It would. <clears throat> anyway, I actually have a solution for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so. So one of the problems of of using glass um, or other kinds of like um, like clear surfaces is that they reflect light, um, which in some cases you don't really want, right? So our phone screens are reflective, and I'll admit that I sometimes use it as a mirror, but like you don't actually want a reflective surface if you're using your phone outside mm -hmm. because of the glare, right? Yes. And you also don't want glare coming off a glass surface if you're watching TV usually. Um, usually it's very annoying. Sorry for looking at all these surfaces <laughs> as you mentioned them. Um, but yes. Um, it's especially an annoying for like informational signs. Like you want to be able to read the information on a sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, what are their glass signs? Well, like screens. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Like, okay. like in JSCB, there's that like TV that has been turned into basically like a sign. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. And then they're 
I've noticed this actually because there, there are screens opposite the windows when you're going up the stairs, you know? Mm-hmm. And those, if they have information, but the sun's directly coming in the windows, mm-hmm. you can't read them until you like come up close and yes. do the shadow know, thing. Which we can't, we shouldn't be doing because we have to be very careful about safe, clean practices. Yes. Or <laughs> Allison. So that's the other thing is that like a lot of, a lot of like, safety measures in these COVID times are putting up glass screens around like uh people, right? Like in in booths. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, but yeah. So yeah. like um <clears throat> like in schools they have uh, uh, some people have started putting in screens between the teachers and the mm-hmm. and the students or like um, between students and again reflecting against that is not something you really want in that case because you want to be able to see your 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 student or your teacher <laughs> oh my gosh can you imagine getting to sit in school in like a maze of glass because that sounds kind of fun uh it sounds awful well it sounds awful if you're also worried about getting a disease and dying but if it was just there for like fun <laughs> for it would be kind of cool <laughs> i don't know i'm having enough trouble con- like conversing with people through masks that the idea of like trying to be in school wearing a mask and talking to your teacher through a glass screen, like screen or a plastic uh-huh. screen, just sounds miserable. Yeah, I guess I'm more thinking of it as like a music video concept or like <laughs> some sort of art piece, or like if you only had to do research or sorry, recess in school and you didn't didn't have to ever worry about like like learning from people, then it could uh-huh. be like a fun maze activity, an obstacle Ooh, course. Nice. <laughs> so dangerous. Because <laughs> of all the glass. <laughs> um, okay, nice. But yes. So those are all situations where you don't want a reflective surface. Yeah. So um, so this is a problem that is currently being tackled. And scientists are learning lessons from moths um, and specifically moth eyes because moths have this cool structure in their eyeballs, um, like a nanostructure, a biomolecular nanostructure mm-hmm. in their eyeballs that means that their eyes do not reflect any light. And the it's probably an evolutionary adaptation so that they don't glint they, in the night. Exactly. Yeah. <gasps> That's really cool. Oh my gosh. My dad's favorite activity. No, I have a favorite activity. That's something my dad likes to do in the summer is like shine a flashlight out in the grass and be like, look at all those spiders. Ah. And you can see them. You can see their terrible little eyes. That's so it. spiders have not evolved no. these cool structures. No, but just it's cool to think that like the moths are out there hiding from all those spiders. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like it is very cool. And it's probably it's like, yeah, it's an evolutionary adaptation. But the question is like, how do, how does that happen? And why hasn't anyone else evolved it? Mm-hmm. And the answer to how did that happen is that the structure of their eye surface isn't perfectly smooth like our eyeballs. Instead, it has like some it has like a, a very regular pointy structure um, on a molecular level so that the so that when light hits it, it doesn't smooth it like doesn't reflect straight off but instead it bends and so basically your the moth eyes just absorb all the light that's coming in (laughs) or at least bend it away that's pretty cool isn't that cool and kind of scary it is kind of scary i don't (laughs) like oh my gosh oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) okay cool yes okay so scientists are taking lessons from moths because they have this cool structure and it makes their eyes non-reflective and what that means is that they're that people are trying material scientists are trying to like put that structure onto glass surfaces so that um so that we could use 
gloss without having a glare in mm-hmm. specific situations. And I think primarily in like phone situations, I mm-hmm. think Apple's extremely interested. Or yeah. you know, smartphone companies are very interested uh-huh. in following up on this kind of thing. Would it feel? No. It's okay. like imperceptible to touch. <laughs> it just feels like glass. It's still incapable of feeling. <laughs> it has no feelings. Okay, uh, but cool, cool. Um, okay, so so this actually has been done before where people – where scientists basically um, – they can't use glass. They use a, a glassy carbon structure, which is carbon that's um, like very thin layers mm-hmm. um, and – transparent um and then they etch um uh um like the shape into it but um the methods that have been used so far are very hard to do at scale because Mm -hmm. they're basically you have to mold the whole thing as one piece and so that might be easy to do in a phone screen context or maybe not even then like a very Mm -hmm. small scale context but if you want to do a bigger piece of glass then you can't really use this technique at scale for cheap because Mm -hmm. it's um it like requires very expensive equipment and it's very difficult to do without any like aberrations in the shape that you make okay so this group that i'm going to be talking about um yano at all at the tokyo university of science they created a new method to make like huge sheets of glass that have this structure um and they use a method where you create a a glass substrate so like a piece of glass that Mm -hmm. you then layer onto this um this glassy carbon structure that has the shape in it that makes it uh transparent and non-reflective okay um and what they do um, is they have to make a mold. Yeah, so they make a mold with the with this glossy carbon structure, and then they create a film. They they create a master mold with this shape with glossy carbon, and then they flow um, like a liquid over it that can then okay. be polymerized to hold the shape that was created with the glassy carbon cool. but be used as a film to put over the device that you want to cover okay. or the piece of glass that that's you want pretty to cover. cool yeah um and the properties are much better than anything that's been done like this before so you can still see through it it's perfectly transparent you wouldn't know it's there um, and it doesn't reflect light it's like a 0.1 percent of light is reflect i think even lower actually point zero one percent of light is reflected oh, off wow. of this can you imagine looking over like just i know i was looking at this and i was picturing <laughs> yeah. like what would happen if i saw this and it didn't have any reflection it would kind of creep me out the right. first time it's i think odd. <laughs> but it's really really good uh-huh. um and for just for like personal use for us for you know not being able to use our phones out in, in yeah, the sunlight sure. but also um yeah for like signage and for use mm-hmm. when you need a plastic sheet between you and someone else yeah it's a good way to build to start like improving the structures that we're using more and more Mm -hmm. with greater accessibility and um and visibility okay cool i like it i just thought it was a fun story i had no idea that mom's eyes were non-reflective and i like the idea of like using that information to make humans better yeah. Fit in their environment. Man. <laughs> Concerned by moths though. Are butterflies? I don't know. Okay. I don't know about butterflies. 
Ah, nice. Cool. Well, that was cool. All right. Sorry. <laughs> cool. Good. Um, I would like to have a Matt phone in the future. It would be nice. Yeah. And I'd a Matt like to computer. be able to use my phone in the sun. <laughs> yes. Back when I used to use my computer at work, um, it's right next to that window. You know, like there were times of day where it was hard mm-hmm. to use. Yeah. Same here, actually. Mm-hmm. But I would usually just like shift my computer so that I was looking at the oh, window. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. My problem is that I like to turn sideways so that my back is to the window. So it was hard to do that sometimes. Uh-huh. Right. Let's reflect on your next story. <gasps> Perfect. Nice. I like it. My next story has a lot to reflect on. Great. Uh, because the major conflict at the center of it is death, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Let's reflect on death. Yeah, the major <laughs> conflict at the center of everything, honestly. <laughs> I was reading <laughs> The Myth of Sisyphus by Camus this morning because <laughs> I was being sad. Anyway, that's it. So just never mind. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but just it, you know, it's a big one. Uh, the major problem with death currently is that we have become so detached from nature as a society that the way we deal with death is extremely bad for the environment. Uh-huh, like, like lead-lined coffins, et yes. cetera. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even have any stats on lead-lined coffins, but just like the wood required to make even lead-free caskets. Mm. It's like 4 million acres of forest a year for Whoa. the caskets in the U.S. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, cemeteries take up 1 million acres of land yeah. in the U.S. Caskets also require like 90,000 tons of steel. Most of these stats are from a Scientific American article from 2008. And mm. I think it might be worse now because the only comparable current that I could find was that this, uh, the Scientific American article said that we bury 800,000 gallons of embalming fluid, which is not great environmentally mm. every year in the mm. U.S. And a Gizmodo article from this month said we bury 5.3 million gallons oh, of no. embalming fluid in the U.S. every year. Um, so sorry that was a lot of numbers. But the point is that death is an upsetting philosophical issue, but it's also <laughs> a very upsetting environmental <laughs> one. Um, or death itself is perfectly fine for the environment. Yeah, it's the, like, how we deal with bodies. <laughs> exactly. There must mm-hmm. be a better way. <laughs> so, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not cremation. I just wanted to mention that also, that cremation, people think it's better because the actual body is much less obtrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a big greenhouse gas emissions yeah. problem. Don't um, you have to, like, you have to keep burning cremation um, yes. furnaces uh-huh. to keep them at that heat, like, pretty much 24-7, You right? do, because it's very, I think, bad for the interior of the chamber to, like, change oh, temperature. Oh, okay. I this see. Is, I'm not 100% sure about that. This is from reading uh, Stiff by Mary oh. Roach, like, <laughs> when I took a class about death at undergrad, so uh-huh. that would have been... Like seven years ago, uh-huh. but that's what I remember. That's me. what I. That's how I remember the yeah. cremation furnace that they were on all the time. But I nice. didn't remember that it was a like change in temperature. That that was I why they did it. That's it. But it makes sense. Yeah. But if you want to learn more and fact check us, really, Stiff by Mary Roach is great. It's the best Mary Roach book, oh and that's gosh. saying a lot. <laughs> I also read The Myth of Simpsons in that death class. That's it. It's all very. It's all coming back. I loved that class. Um, but. 
So yeah, those are the main two choices for Americans and also for most of the world, although mm-hmm. there are places that have less harmful embalming practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and also places that like push green practices more, I think. Yes. Right? Yeah. But one of those places within the United States is Washington State, which passed legislation last May in May of 2019 that said, guess what? You're allowed to do above ground tea decomposition now, mm. um, which is a nice way of saying composting human bodies. <laughs> um, so that is legal in Washington state. Uh, and so in the same law, um, they also legalized liquid cremation, which sounds gross. It is gross. <laughs> it's basically, I wrote liquid cremation like Dahmer did, but it's not exactly oh. the same. <laughs> um, but it is like using chemicals like caustic bases Mm -hmm. to decompose bodies which Mm. i'm not like it's heat and also things like lye um that kind of dissolves a body Mm -hmm. but both of those things are legal in washington state now um the person who kind of spearheaded this is katrina spade um who studied architecture and wrote a master's thesis on urban uh burial Mm. uh for her architecture masters, um, and then developed the concept of a human composting company, <laughs> um, which she has now. It's called Recompose, Aww. which is pretty cute. But yeah, so she pushed this legislation, and it did get passed last year. Um, Washington State University did a study where they used a similar technique that Recompose uses um, to compost six bodies, um, and just see, like, basically do an environmental impact study mm-hmm. uh, for the purpose of informing this legislative situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I would have killed to be on that study, honestly. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would have loved to be on that study. You would have loved to be a dead person on that study or a, a live person conducting a it? A live person conducting it. I think it would have been so interesting. I mean, come on. Imagine going to a party and saying, this is what I study. It'd be yeah, so much more interesting. It would than, be like, really cool. Explaining your... <laughs> molecular project (laughs) yes truly oh my gosh but what they did i mean so basically you put a body in a rotating container shaped like a cone with some like mulch oh and you leave it in there for a month well they don't say mulch they say alfalfa (laughs) (laughs) sorry they say organic materials like alfalfa but the impression that i got from other articles mulch is mulch um Okay, I'm not sure actually I could have been on this study. (laughs) Yeah, but after a month, they're pretty much decomposed, Hmm. Um, which is, I think, partially because you get a lot of microbes in there from your organic stuff, and then you rotate it so that there's like aeration all the time for those microbes, and it lets them really thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they thrive at is decomposing. Um, And so (laughs) after a month, they had about a cubic yard of soil per person. Wow. And you can, it's nice soil for growing <laughs> stuff. You could like, yeah, plant a memorial garden. Yeah. So I think that's the idea of the of Recompose is they take a body for a month and then they give the soil back to the family mm-hmm. of oh, the deceased okay. person. Um, although... There's this really kind of sinister. I keep I like laughed out loud at this picture. Sorry that the listener cannot see the picture. Oh, look at this. This is an artist's rendering of the recomposed concept. <laughs> like a, a weird either. empty warehouse with like 
random garden plots that look kind of suspicious. Even in the background, there are these pods stacked on top of each other. <laughs> oh, those are the decomposition pods? I think so, because look oh. at that family that are, like, spending time with one. Right, right, right. Ooh, I don't like it. I, just, <laughs> I think there's something very sinister about all the plants. I just, like, it's, it's weird to me that that, like... I, Okay, I think this is a personal thing, though, because, like, what I would do if I had the soil that was composed of, you know, mm-hmm. a family member, then I would, like, go scatter the soil uh-huh. in the same way that people scatter ashes, yes. like, somewhere natural or, like, you know, put it in a garden. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that is mostly the idea, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's weird that there are all these plants in this warehouse. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, it makes it more serene because that is something people like about cem- – like, cemeteries are for the living mm-hmm. – Sort of. Um, And so, like, they're supposed to be a good place to reflect on your loved one. And so I guess they're doing that. But there is something kind of weird (laughs) about all the plants. Because they're also, they look like kind of like swamp plants (laughs) in a way that's a little bit, I don't know. They feel like they're hiding something. (laughs) But anyway, so that's pretty cool. Another neat thing about it is that it only costs, well, only costs $5,500, which is much less than traditional burial. Mm-hmm. And it's less than most cremation. It's like a little bit more than like bare bones uh, cremation, mm-hmm. like, which I don't know what the different levels of cremation are, but maybe the urn. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Yeah. But so Recompose has a sustainability analyst who is on their payroll. So just not to distrust him, but, you know, it's important to be aware of that when we listen to this information. Mm -hmm. Um, His name is Troy Hoddle, and he says that the carbon dioxide saved by composting one person comes to between 0.84 and 1.4 metric tons. Um, And so for context, one metric ton is about the equivalent to burning 1100 pounds of coal or driving 2500 miles well um so that's pretty good and that's like not just for it's not like burying a body creates that much carbon dioxide it's like the making of the mm. casket and the embalming the process <laughs> yeah. yeah um so that is really cool and that i would really like cool. this for myself when i die yeah um i remember so in stiff there's that like technique where they like Oh, I, I flash get freeze in, you? Yeah, flash freeze you and then sonicate you. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to do that since I read I think about that's it. cool, except that when I picture it, it doesn't look kind of like beautifully eerie like this <laughs> yeah. situation. It like is straight up like a concrete room where they just like toss the body <laughs> yeah, in there and they're like, sure. <laughs> you know? Definitely. <laughs> um, that was my sonication noise. Um, which is scary to yeah. me. I don't want to be in that room, but I'm sure it looks more like a lab. <laughs> yeah. And also I think the reason that it appealed to me was more of the end process of like, you know, you basically get buried as frozen chunks of organic material that can like, you know, sustain and nourish a tree. It's yes. like the end product of a tree, which is so exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think this would do the same thing, right? Yeah. It would be the same idea. So both of these options are really good. Yeah. It's neat. I'm not 100% sure about all of the details of the law. Like, I know that in a lot of places, you're not allowed to just bury a human being in your backyard. <laughs> I think in Oklahoma, you Oops. maybe were when I was taking my death class because we talked about it. <laughs> like, if you just want to keep your spouse at home. Like, obviously, it's, uh-huh. like, illegal to conceal someone's death. Right. But, but if like, you want to, like, bury it in a family burial plot, which just happens to be in your backyard, yes. you're allowed to do that. But in lots of places, that's not Which I think legal. is kind of fair. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But so I'm saying I, like, don't but, know if this is, like, a situation where they're just, like, compost your loved one how you like. <laughs> or if you 
will have to go to recompose, yeah. which can only has a capacity for six um people, six dead people, uh six cadavers a month. Oh, okay. At this time. Okay. So they're looking to scale up, but right now it's not. Mm-hmm. I need to double check that, whether it's six, because I'm worried that I'm mixing that up with the other thing. Ten. It's ten cadavers per month, but still but not still, that many. It's a low. Um, mm-hmm. But like it's a it's a it's the first of its kind company, yeah. right? So there could be many more that come out of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you can pre-sign up if you want to give them your fifty five hundred dollars. They'll I save you a little pod. We'll do that. I don't have to do five hundred dollars, but <laughs> I mean, maybe. And that's the thing we talked about this a lot in my death class that like they'll get you that way. Mm-hmm. But then if their company goes under, they just get to keep your money, and your family has to buy a whole new oh. funeral plan. Or if they like go under, <laughs> quote unquote. Uh huh. Oh, I thought you were making a death joke. But no, I, get it. <laughs> I wasn't. I just mean like sometimes there's fraud. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, maybe I'll think about it closer to the time of my death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that anybody can predict that, but yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool, it's and cool. it could make a pretty big environmental impact if it kind of scales up and if other states take similar actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is yet to be seen. So, um, I need to credit my sources. I read. <laughs> an article from last year about the passing of this law because it was passed in May of 2019. It went into effect in May of 2020. Mm-hmm. And there haven't been any companies that can do corpse composting until mm-hmm. uh, Recompose is starting actually operating this month. Okay. So, yeah. So I read this article about the law being passed um, from Adil Hassan at the New York Times. I read an article by Brian Kahn from November 5th uh, at Gizmodo. And there's what seems to be a really cool article um, on the MIT Tech Review by Britta Lochting, but I don't have access to the MIT Tech Review because it costs $50 a year now, and I just kind of don't have that at the moment. Mm -hmm. But so if you can, you should read that because I really like the MIT Tech Review and they didn't use to cost money, is how I know that. (laughs) Um, And we should support our journalists with... Uh, if you support, can. but yeah. I just have too many going yeah. on right now. <laughs> um, but the point is, I found an article at Boing Boing by Tom Dunn <laughs> that quotes a lot of stuff from the I MIT see. Tech Review, and also you know it's, it's like, good. Yes, but... <laughs> yeah, and it's a good article in its own right. Mm-hmm. But it was good to get at those MIT mm-hmm. Tech Review quotes because they uh, interview Katrina. Oh, great. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's that. Awesome. I just thought it was neat. It is really neat. Yeah. It would have been the most excellent Halloween story, but it's pretty good to do it in November still. So. Yes. <laughs> We're still in the season of decay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> nice. Well, why don't you decay out this podcast? That's horrible. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a quality way. <laughs> okay. I have a high quality, very short pod- well, uh, story oh, to on. like end, to decay this podcast to its conclusion. <laughs> okay, perfect. Sure, sure. Um, so I have a very short story about, um, beetles, um, that I found in, um, on a silent, on one of my science daily updates from microbiology, um, which I'm not exactly sure why it was in my microbiology digest because okay. it's about beetles. Fun. Um, but it's about social behavior in beetles. There's a group of beetles called ambrosia beetles, which I just think is mm. the best name for beetles. Um, and they're 
interesting beetles because they practice agriculture, which is which means that they like intentionally farm something to be eaten later. Oh right? So what a lot of farm? Uh, fungus. Okay. So a lot of beetles, you know, just like eat what they find. A lot of insects eat, just eat what they find. Um, they don't farm it. Mm-hmm. Um, but these ambrosia beetles collect fungi scores. Scores, spores, uh-huh. <laughs> collect fungi spores and bring it back to known locations and then grow it over and, and maintain the growth and then use that as food. Um, unlike bees or ants, they don't live in giant communities centered around a matriarchal figure. They mm-hmm. live in family units. So the female beetle that is raising a family will bring back um fungi spores to its lair and then farm this fungi and grow up her offspring it's like a little house on the prairie but for beetles yeah i like that a lot and there are layers little lair on the <laughs> little lair on the log yeah <laughs> which actually works because they yeah. live on logs They're pretty cute <laughs> um that's a good title yes <laughs> um and, yeah, so these beetle moms raise their beetle babies, um, <laughs> and the beetle babies help to care for the fungi, and um, uh, they can also help to raise the offspring. However, the female, the female beetles are not sterile. They're, like, the offspring, sorry, the offspring of the, like, matriarchal figure aren't sterile. They can have their own babies, which is, again, compared to... Um, bees or ants Mm -hmm. and these worker beetles can choose whether or not to um, stay with their mom and keep raising fungi keep like doing this agricultural thing like mary did uh yes in their like family unit or they can go off and form their own nest and form their own family yes Um, so the reason that I keep mentioning bees and ants is because this is kind of like a midway point between um, other beetle species and a lot of insect species where they're like self-sufficient and they mm-hmm. have their babies and the babies go off and do their own thing, right? This is like a weird halfway point where they're doing some kind of like agriculture so they can have a community and some of those beetles stay in the community and some go off and do their own thing Mm -hmm. and there's some like you know biological factors in there too where the offspring are all reproductively competent so they can go off and make their own families Mm -hmm. unlike in bees where they're sterile um okay so the point of this story um this is so there's a guy at um wurtzburg the University of Würzburg, nice. <laughs> called uh, Peter Biederman. <laughs> oh, but he called. Oh, but he gets called Peter Beetleman all the time. Oh my gosh, the dream! I bet he. Call, I hope he calls himself Peter Beetleman. I hope he. Does I hope he too. like introduces himself at every seminar by being like, "My name is Peter Beetleman, but you- <laughs> <laughs> Peter Beetleman, but you can call me yes. Peter Beetleman <laughs> or Beetle Beetleman." <laughs> no. There's just so many good opportunities for puns there. Um, but, okay, so he's really fascinated by these beetles, and he's he recently published a study explaining this life cycle of ambrosia beetles and how they have this, like, interesting midpoint life mm-hmm. cycle social community. And he is making the argument that this because this is a midpoint between antisocial behavior and use social behavior, which mm-hmm. is the bee model, we're w- w- witnessing – evolution towards eusocial behavior. Okay. 
And he says that if we keep watching these ambrosia beetles for long enough, then we'll be able to witness the evolution of eusocial behavior, which I think is very cool. Comes along with a lot of caveats, uh-huh. mostly the fact that evolution happens on gigantic yeah, time so scales. We personally <laughs> will be being composted before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we probably won't be watching this, but perhaps humankind will. <laughs> Not optimistic. <laughs> Me neither, honestly. <laughs> I think beetles were, will far outlive us. Yeah. But I think it's a really cool idea that like that you could like and and even if you could maybe find something that's like a different breed of beetle that's a little bit farther along, right? Like something between what ambrosia beetles do and what bees do. Mm-hmm. Then you could really start to map out how do you get from self-sufficient behavior, non-community focused behavior mm-hmm. to the kind of behavior that bees um uh exhibit. Okay. So I like it. Yeah. Nice. So we could all be beetle keepers in the future and they can't sting. Yeah, except they don't really make anything useful for humans. <laughs> what about fungi? <laughs> Yum. I mean, people eat them. <laughs> I've seen you eat a fungus. That's true, actually. <laughs> I've, I've eaten a fungus or two. <laughs> yeah. You could maybe teach them to make fancy fungi. Mm-hmm. I always say fungi. I'm only saying fungi because you said it earlier. <laughs> We've had this exact conversation oh, about fungi versus fungi before. Really? Okay. I'm trying to remember what side I came down on. I think I actually switched and started saying fungi. <laughs> nice. I don't think either of them are wrong. I just normally would not say fungi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm caving to societal pressure in this Sorry. two-person current <laughs> society. <laughs> um, yeah, but I like it. Cool, cool. I was a, I was a big fan, but I – yeah. Yeah, there's not really any experimental work to talk about. Mm-hmm. I just think it's cool yeah. that it exists. Nice. So if you see a beetle, <laughs> observe it. Yes. Before you die. Yeah. See what its community is like. Check on. Check in on next door. Yeah. Start following the beetles home. <laughs> uh, neighborhood beetle watch. <laughs> <laughs> I could have put up a little sign to have a little beetle in a like trench coat, you know, like they would watch a tiny little sign. <laughs> You put on a log (laughs) next to its lair. Yes. I'm not 100% sure that I agree with this bee hypothesis. Okay, well, so the thing about this, part of this is because we have been comparing this so much to Little House on the Prairie. Mm -hmm. But people worked like this. Like, I guess, like, I know that insects are more similar to each other, but just... Like, you could make an argument that we are partway between an antisocial uh-huh. and a eusocial Definitely. situation. Yeah. And so, I don't, I don't so know. So I think the point is that, like, the same – or, like, his – the reason he comes to this hypothesis is that they are similar enough that um, – and they're, like, starting to use the same types of behavior, like the farming behavior mm-hmm. um, in its own – like, they're, they're in their own group that is evolutionary distinct evolutionarily distinct okay so his like hypothesis is that that kind of clade would advance into um like expanding the farming and if they evolve sterility in like non-matriarchal figures then those workers would have to stay in the hive Mm. um but like how do you evolve sterility who knows yeah weird (laughs) i wouldn't (laughs) if i had a choice yeah Uh, (laughs) but Cool. Nice, nice. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Well, Allison, 
what made you happy this week? I have a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was offered a job and I accepted the I'm job. So happy for you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, so I got a job. It's at NYU. It's very exciting. Going to be doing virology work, but like in a stable position. And that means that the podcast might change in the near future. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. Yes. But I think we're going to be doing podcasting in a different format. But still with each other. We're still with each other. Still with each other. And let's affiliate with CU so we can use all the foul language we would like to. <laughs> yes. Although it sounds like we probably won't. No, probably not. <laughs> but, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but we can talk about all the sexual stories. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really, I don't know that the content will necessarily, if you, if you like our current content, we'll try to make it around. still likable for yeah. you in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that was very exciting. It was yeah. such a good week. I feel like a lot of weights lifted off my shoulder mm-hmm. and there's still some things to sort out, but like generally I feel so happy and calm <laughs> and so excited about the future. So yeah. What made you happy this week? <laughs> <laughs> You've um, had a roller coaster of a week. I've had a really rough time. <laughs> I mean, it made me happy. To elect a new president, <laughs> and I don't want to go into detail about my personal roller coaster of a weekend on the podcast. I guess, although I would love to, actually, honestly, DM us personally <laughs> for more deets. But basically, I advocated for myself in a big way within my professional situation, and like got a lot of support. Um, from like my lovely friends and also from professors at work and just solved a really big problem that I was facing Mm -hmm. and it's been a relief and I'm proud of myself and happy to love all the people I love that's it yeah (laughs) yeah it was yeah a hard week that ended on a good note yeah bye Bye. (laughs) (laughs) did I need to say bye back <laughs> oh, I guess that's it. Um, yeah. So next week, tune in for our special Thanksgiving episode. Yes, please. <laughs> it might not be as current as our episodes usually are, but it will be about Thanksgiving things. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Bye. Bye. <laughs>rated or reviewed us on apple podcasts <laughs> if you have a free minute please consider rating us or writing us a review it might help us get sponsored in the future and it makes us feel special join us in two weeks for another science chat but until then remember you're significant make sure your science is too this podcast was written and produced by me allison gilchrist and my co-host grayson wheeler our theme music is if i had a chicken by kevin mcleod go to sciencebuffs.org to read the science buffs blog or find out more about the podcast at buffstalkscience.com you can also follow us at ScienceBuffs on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can follow Buffs Talk Sci on Twitter for podcast-specific news.